Welcome back, friends, to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. Today is the day after Yom Kippur, and I hope that everyone who's listening here had a meaningful day, an easy fast, a powerful Yom Kippur. I hope that you had moments throughout the day that you really felt inspired, close to Hashem, connected, connected to your neshama. Um, and, and I hope that it's a great day and may Hashem answer all of our prayers, all of our tefillos, Litova for the positive. Um, and may we all have a year ahead of us full of joy and full of blessing and full of bracha. I want to do something today that I haven't yet done uh, since we started posting classes and recording podcasts, and that is speak directly to our podcast audience. Usually the podcasts are either recordings of classes that I'm giving or interviews with people where there's another person. But it's one of those years where it's Friday morning now and Sukkot is going to be on Monday morning and there really wasn't any time to get an interview in here, um, nor was there even any time. It's like it's such a funny year this year with like COVID still happening and it's so early and planning has been difficult. So there really just hasn't been any time to schedule an official class with, you know, enough time to, uh, to to give people a chance to listen and get ready for the upcoming Chag. So uh, I kind of thought to myself, like, I want to, I want, I want to say something. I want to talk about Sukkot. I want to learn together with you all. So this is the way we're going to do it. I'm just going to share with you some Torah ideas, the things that are inspiring me now, the things that I, I would be saying if I was giving a class, and I'll just speak directly to you. Um, it's been really a great gift to see the numbers on the podcast uh, rising and hearing a lot of your feedback. It means so much to me, and I want to share a little bit of Sukkot together with you as well. So these are going to be some of my thoughts about Sukkot, what I'm feeling right now, this specific year, the things that I'm I'm using to inspire me and to get me in the zone. And um, I hope that you'll enjoy it. So here we go. This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. So yesterday, right before Ni'ilah, um, I was scheduled to get up and say a couple of words to get our chevra, to get our crowd uh, in, the, in the zone, in the moment, focused for Ni'ila. And I had a couple of ideas as to what I was going to say. It wasn't quite fully fleshed out. And um, about an hour before Ni'ila, a thought popped into my head and I shared it. Ended up sharing that. I went with that. Sometimes you just got to be a little spontaneous. And when something hits, you, you just jump in. So I shared this idea before Ni'ila, and um, it really resonated very much with me. It was just a thought. It resonated very much with me, and I think it resonated a lot with others. And I want to start this share, this class, by sharing that uh, thought with you about the connection between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Here we are. We're now in these four days in between and um, one of the one of the things that we were speaking about a lot over the course of the day, as we were trying to really connect deeply, deeply to to Yom Kippur, it was especially Yom Kippur for me 
being back in DC um, with the community that I didn't have a chance to be with last year because of COVID, um, and a community that over the course of the last couple of years I've grown a lot closer uh, with. So it was it was it was a powerful day. It was powerful being back uh, back there together with them. And one of the themes that we were speaking about over the course of the day was the difference between sadness and being brokenhearted. And the idea that while being brokenhearted is something, is a feeling that is a holy feeling, and uh, it's a feeling that that makes space and brings us closer to a real genuine spiritual experience, sadness we know from many of our sages and many of the, the texts of Jewish tradition, that sadness is actually a barrier to a spiritual experience. Sadness does not bring us closer to God. And what is the difference between being brokenhearted, which is something that is that is often praised, you know, throughout to be a shvure lave, brokenhearted, is something that brings you close to God, but sadness is a barrier. And what is the difference between the two? And especially because we know, again, this emphasis on joy, mitzvah gedola, leos besimcha, it's a big mitzvah to be joyous, right? So um, if it's a mitzvah to be joyous and, 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 um, and, uh, being glad and being happy and being labedic, being alive, being energetic, if that's such an important tool in getting close to Hashem, to close to God and having a spiritual experience, how does that jive with being brokenhearted? How can one be both brokenhearted and joyous at the same time? So we spoke about this um, several times throughout the day. And showing that, no, there actually is a very big difference because sadness, when we say where someone is sad, if there is a hint, if there is an element of giving up, of hopelessness, of depression that's woven in there, I'm so frustrated, right? Life, my life didn't turn out to be what I wanted it to be. It's, you know, it's, 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 I'm I'm a lost case or whatever, any sort of, um, any sort of giving up. Um, forfeiting to the situations of life, forfeiting to your struggles, getting down on yourself because you feel that you that like like it's over. That's sadness, and that is going to be an un- unhealthy. That's not going to breed um, a, a feeling of closeness of connection to God. To be brokenhearted is something very different. A person can be both brokenhearted and joyous at the same time. Like I like to quote whoever it was who said, you know, that's why Hashem gave me two pockets. One pocket is for my gladness and one pocket is for my brokenheartedness. And you can you can have those two pockets and they can work together and they can even complement each other. Because the reality is that we all have our struggles and that's very, very real. And on the one hand, when we're struggling and maybe even we're falling, there's something that's certainly, uh, it's, there's something frustrating about it. It's so frustrating. Um, but yet, we also have to keep in mind, as we're frustrated with the struggle, that this struggle is coming directly from God. 
And that means that if God is putting this struggle in my plate, that means that this struggle is also my connection to God. Not only if I am passing the test, not only if I'm if the outcome is coming out the way I want it to come out, but just the very fact that I am here, that I am present in this struggle, this is my point of connection. This is the cord that is binding me to God because this is part of my mission. This is what I'm here for. All right, so the struggle itself is connecting me to God, and therefore, I, I should rejoice in that, right? I should rejoice in the fact that I have the opportunity to be in this struggle, which is now connecting me to God. And again, like I shared in the class before Yom Kippur, it was not posted on the podcast, but you could find that on YouTube. It was just too close to, to Yom Kippur to even, you know, I, I just sort of put it there and tried to direct everybody there. But we spoke about the fact that when, when if, I, if I am not passing my tests, at least the way I see it, if I am falling within my struggles, then my job is to turn to God and say, it must be, Hashem, must be God, that there's that you're not pumping me with enough elokus, you're not pumping me with enough godliness, because it's going to be the godly part of me that's going to, um, that's going to help me succeed in the struggle. As a human being, I don't stand the chance. As a godly being, I, I do stand the chance. So obviously, there's not enough godly. I'm not making myself a vessel for enough godliness, and therefore, I'm not succeeding in my struggle. Hashem, I, I need your help, right? This is, this is not my problem. This is our problem. Together, Hashem, I need you to give me a little bit more of your essence. I need you to give me a little bit more of your shefa, your energy, so that I am big enough to transcend this struggle. So therefore, again, the struggle itself is something, the struggle connects me to Hashem. That's why Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says, I go up to heaven. This, I mean, he's, he's quoting Tehillim, but he expounds on this, saying, if I go up to heavens, there you are. But also, if I sink to the depths of hell, you're there also. We find God when we're struggling, when we're falling, we find God there. We find a certain feeling of closeness even in that space, right? So if we realize that, then the very same brokenheartedness that is the result of our struggle, that very same brokenheartedness is also the source of our joy. It's also the source to rejoice in God. That's very different than being sad. That's very different than being down. It's very different than being depressed. So we spoke about that theme a lot, the difference between being brokenhearted and being sad. And obviously, Yom Kippur, every single time we say those ashamnus, we say that vidoy, and, and as we mentioned in the class before Yom Kippur, the vidoy is said in that very sweet tone, it's soft, it's loving, it's warm. And we, and we, and we tap our, our, our uh, hearts, we put our fist up against our heart, as if we're sitting there, we're trying to wake our heart up. Because Yom Kippur is a day of being brokenhearted. And then we jump right afterwards, we jump into Sukkot. And we know the Torah calls Sukkot, all holidays are meant to be happy, but Sukkot, especially Sukkot, is Man Simchasenu, the time of joy. All of the mitzvot that we have on Sukkot are meant to, to counteract the brokenheartedness of Yom Kippur with this tremendous joy of Sukkot. And all of the mitzvot of Sukkot are all there, are all meant to bring out that joy. 
And as we know from many of the holy sources, I want to share with you, you know, two sources right now that just talk about the symbolism of the sukkah itself sitting in this four wall, three and a half wall, uh, this booth with the schach sitting under the stars, under Hashem, and uh, what the sukkah is supposed to represent. The Svat Emet, great Hasidic master, says, Inyan sukkah kimo chupa. A sukkah, the booth of the sukkah, is supposed to be like a chupa. Right? You're sitting under this chupa. The chupa is the wedding canopy. So when you're sitting in the sukkah, you're in, you're in a wedding canopy with God. Wow, that's fantastic. That's from... The Svasemes. He also says something very interesting. He says, Rosh Hashanah, it corresponds to the line that we say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. God is one. Then we know afterwards, we say, the next line is, Baruch Shem Kavod Ed, that the name of the honor of God's kingship should, should be blessed forever and ever. That's the next line that we say. So he says, Rosh Hashanah corresponds to the Shema. Yom Kippur corresponds to Baruch Shem, the next line. And then Sukkot corresponds to the next line that we say, and that is, Via Hafta Sashem Lokecha. Hey, you shall love God. So Sukkot, once again, is a time of love, and that goes hand in hand with what we said, that the Sukkot is like a chuppah. There's a beautiful idea from the great Kabbalist, the Ari, of Isaac Luria of Tzvat, where he says that the sukkah, the way it's set up, the minimum amount of walls of a sukkah are two walls that are um, uh, perpendicular, I think is the word, uh, of one another. And then a third one that's a small, you actually don't need four walls for a sukkah, you need two and a little bit. And he says that if you think about that, the form of that, he says it's the Indian of chibuk. It's like a hug, right? Think about pulling someone else, giving someone a hug with one hand. You pull them, pull them close. So he says that the this the formation of the two perpendicular walls, and then the third the little third one is like the two parts of the hand and the and and, and the actual hand pulling somebody close for a hug. When a man is hugging his wife, Mulo panim panim. They're standing, um, facing one another, and he puts with his arm. He gives the he. He says it's like a gimel, like the letter gimel, but whatever it is, right? You can you can visualize how that is. So we have this idea that the sukkah is um, the sukkah is like a like a chuppah. The sukkah is like a hug. Beautiful, beautiful ideas connecting. Um, speaking about the joy of Sukkot and really connecting Yom Kippur and Sukkot because here after you have this time of Yom Kippur which we come so close to Hashem, we become so holy on Yom Kippur, the very next step is to explode into the joy of Sukkot represented by the Sukkah itself which is either a chuppah or a hug, you know, one, one, one of those two. As I was thinking about what I wanted to share before Neila. By the way, this was all an intro, an intro. None of this is actually what I shared. Uh, now I'm getting to that. Um, but what, when I was thinking about what to share before Neila, I thought about another imagery similar, similar to this, um, but something a little bit different. I've spoken about this previously, like around Tishabov, but I, I've never really applied it over here to Yom Kippur. But there is this moment 
there's this moment within Jewish life that I've always found to be one of the most profound, beautiful, amazing moments within Jewish life. And that is the Jewish wedding, actually at the end of the chuppah. There's a moment at the end of the chuppah. The chuppah, we know, is there's something serious about it. You know, standing there under the chuppah, it's emotional. The songs that we sing, the blessings that we make. Um, it's, you know, usually you don't see that the bride and groom are kind of giddy or giggling under the chuppah. They're usually serious. It is. It's a serious, special time. We understand the holiness of the bride and groom coming together, becoming one. And then at the end of the chuppah, we put a glass under the chatan, under the groom's uh, foot, and he pounds down his foot and he breaks the glass and the glass shatters. And we know at that point, right then, right, the glass shatters, that's like the grand finale of the chuppah. And after we finish, after that glass breaks, suddenly everybody calls out, right? The glass breaks, everyone calls out, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. And that's become such a staple within Jewish life that it's kind of, it's like the kind of thing that, you know, now anytime you hear, you know, you'll have it in my house also, like, you know, something breaks in the kitchen. Suddenly all my kids will be like, oh, Mazel Tov, right? You hear it at a, uh, at the, you know, if you're at a wedding or even a, a Jewish restaurant and the waiter drops something and it breaks, everyone says, Mazel Tov, you know, no one's, you know, dropping, uh, you know, expletives over there. Everyone's just like, hey, Mazel Tov, right? That's the, that's the way we respond when, when something breaks, um, it's, which, is, um, which is interesting. Because if you think about um, what's happening over there, you know, are these two things connected? Well, one would think not really. Why do we break the glass? We know one of the reasons, the most common reason that we give, that we break the glass, is um, to remember Jerusalem. Even at this great time of joy, we never want to forget that we are still in exile. We're not really uh, fully, fully uh, redeemed. We're not redeemed. We're, the Mashiach hasn't come yet, right? We, we, we still were yearning for an even greater joy. We can't be fully happy. So we break that glass. And one would think, okay, it happens to be, it's at the end of the Chabad, and now the Chabad is over, time to say Mazel Tov. Is there really a connection between the two? So around Tisha B'av, we've spoken about it, that maybe there is something. Maybe it's not just a coincidence, but maybe there is something happening over there where, as Jews, our job, our responsibility is never to spend too much time dwelling in our sorrow, dwelling in our sadness, right? Yes, something broke, but now immediately let's pivot, let's shift Mazel Tov, right? Let's, let's turn that into joy. And that's how we've survived as a Jewish people for all these years, saying we're not just going to get swallowed up by our self-pity, right? but we're going to pick ourselves up and we're going to move on. I think that there's something else happening over there with the breaking of the glass. Yes, it's about remembering Jerusalem, but I think that there is also a symbolism in breaking the glass. Because if a groom comes in and a bride comes into a wedding saying, you know, I got this, I am a whole person, I got it all figured out, and I'm perfect, and the groom thinks he's perfect, and the bride thinks she's perfect, guys, why are you getting married? What, what do you hope to accomplish? There has to be a certain recognition, not to say, again, that you know the purpose of getting married is not to have someone else solve your problems, obviously, 
but it's uh, you know we 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 hope that the marriage is between two healthy people but part of that being healthy is a recognition that yes through this relationship I'm going to realize that I do have what to work on right I could I can be an even bigger person and this marriage is going to help me um realize my flaws and help me become an even better person so perhaps Perhaps part of the breaking of the glass that happens right there at the at the end of the chuppah is a recognition of both the bride and the groom that there is a certain brokenness. We are not whole. And that's why we're coming together. That's why we need each other. And once they realize that, once they can say, okay, I'm ready to break. I'm ready to be a broken vessel. I'm ready now to break this glass and put it back together with somebody else. You know, like that famous Asian art where they break the glass and then they they glue it back together with very, very expensive um, adherent, you know, some like a very fancy, possibly even gold or something like that. And that becomes a, a piece of artwork. It's more beautiful after it's been broken and put back together. That's what we're trying to symbolize. Now I am ready to break myself as a human being, and I'm ready to put myself back together with you. And then if that's what we're trying to do, mazel tov. That's, a, that's the greatest mazel tov. And at that point in time, we have the chatan and the kal, the bride and the groom. They hold hands and they walk down the aisle. They walk down the aisle together and everybody's singing. Oh, it's the most joyous thing. People are going crazy. And the chassan and kala, they're there. It's one of the times that even very, very religious people who their custom is not to show affection in public, that is the one exception. You will often find that they're holding hands together as they move towards the to, towards their next place where they go. And that is the yichud room. The yichud room. They go in alone. The door closes, the door locks, and everybody goes away. All the singing stops. And now it's time for the chassan and kala to just look into one, one another's eyes and fall in love with each other without the fanfare, just them, just being alone. So before Ne'ilah, I suggested perhaps that maybe there's a parallel here. And maybe the broken glass at the end of the chuppah. Maybe that's what's happening on Yom Kippur. Because we're breaking ourselves, because we're really hungry, right? We're breaking our bodies by not eating and not, you know, not having coffee for a full day, which was really hard for me. <laughs> I went straight to the coffee right after the fast was over. Um, so we're breaking our bodies, but also the, the focus on all the areas that we're struggling you know, it's it, it's an emotional day. It's an emotional day, and um, and we 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 break ourselves. We break ourselves, and then immediately after that's over, after the glass is broken, now Mazel Tov. Now it's time to shout, to yell out, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov. And there is a certain joy that we feel suddenly the second that Yom Kippur is over and we hear that chauffeur blow, dude, and, and that's the Mazel Tov. Suddenly we feel ecstatic. We feel like we just want to jump and we want to dance. And then we have these days, the four days in between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. We know that these days are the, the four days correspond to the four letters of God's name. These are supposed to be days of extreme holiness. 
Now we're walking back down the aisle, but this time we're holding God's hand and we're singing. That's a tremendously joyous time. And where are we going? Where are the bride and groom going? They're going towards the Yichud room. They're going towards this private place. And that's the sukkah that we're going to sit in. The sukkah is that Yichud room. And we're going to sit there for seven days, just like the seven days of celebrating that happens afterwards. The the seven days where we have the Sheva Brachot, different times that we have different meals, where we make all these blessings. For seven days, we're supposed to rejoice together with the bride and groom, just like we sit in the chuppah for seven days. We sit in the sukkah for seven days, rather. So the sukkah itself becomes, the sukkah becomes that yichud room. On Yom Kippur, we break our hearts, we shatter the glass. The days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, we go back down the aisle in fanfare and joy. On Sukkot, we enter into that Yichud room, and for the next seven days, we celebrate Sheva Brachos together with God. I thought that that was a very, very meaningful, and very powerful idea. You know... If you take a look in the Torah, there's a very interesting scene in the Torah where the the word Sukkos is mentioned in the context of Yaakov, Jacob. Yaakov, when Jacob is going back from his uncle Lavan's house, he now has built his family and he's on his way back to Israel. And we know he's going to encounter his brother Esav. And we know that um, when he encounters his brother Esav, the night before, we're expecting this big war, this big battle. And it's interesting how it, the, the story turns out really weird. He, the night before he's going to meet with Esav, that's where we learn about this encounter with this angel, this person who's supposed to somehow represent the heavenly body of Esav, the Sarshal Esav, the governing angel of Esav. And Yaakov, instead of... And, and, instead of you know, having this big showdown with Esav himself, the, the battle does happen, but it happens the night before on this sort of spiritual angelic plane as he's struggling with Esav there in a, in, in a spiritual way. And then the next morning when he meets up with Esav, and here we go, this is supposed to be, if you're a Hollywood, if you're writing the script, this is supposed to be this big major script. Now he's about to encounter his brother Esav, who's coming with 400 men and I mean, Esav is coming with 400 men. He's not coming. This is not a welcoming committee. This is not like, you know, a bar mitzvah. He's coming with 400 men because he means business. So where is the showdown? Where is the war? What happens? Instead, they hug each other. Yaakov and Esav hug each other. This bizarre, awkward moment in the Torah when what was supposed to be an exciting battle ends up being this mushy moment. And right after that, it says Yaakov moves on, and it says, and Yaakov travels to, to, to this place called Sukkos. Al-Kain Karashem HaMakom Sukkos. He calls this place Sukkos, and it's a weird reference to Sukkos. Like, is this just a coincidence that the name that Yaakov goes afterwards, this place that he goes afterwards is called Sukkos, which also happens to be the name of a holiday? And the very next words are, it says that Yaakov comes and he's shalim, he's complete. And I think that these three phases over here, the struggle, the battle, and then the hug with Esav, and then coming to Sukkos, also parallels these three holidays. Because on Rosh Hashanah and for the 10 days of repentance, we're trying, we're struggling, we're struggling, fight, 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 fight. Try to become better, try to become better. We're a little bit hard on ourselves. 
And then comes Yom Kippur, and really, what do we have to do? All we can do now is just embrace ourselves. It's a day of love. We know that we read, as we're reading about the service in the temple in the, on Yom Kippur morning or late morning, we read about how even on Yom Kippur in the temple, they would actually send off a goat into the desert. And that goat was actually supposed to represent like a gift to the Satan, a gift to the dark side, a very unusual service, which many of the, of the commentaries try to figure out how it wasn't even paganism. Exactly what they had to believe about what the function of this was going to be. We're literally sending a gift off over there. It's almost as if we're making peace, we're accepting. Like I said earlier on, this brokenheartedness, which is really supposed to be a closeness, a closeness to Hashem because of the struggle. And once we have those two things, once we finish our battle, once we finish our battle with the Eight Sahara, and once we learn how to be joyously brokenhearted, then we're able to come into Sukkos. Then we're able to come into the holiday of Sukkot. Then we're able to come in and be whole. The joy of Sukkot comes from the acceptance that we can be brokenhearted and joyous at the same time. And then we enter into the Sukkah. And as we know from Kabbalah, we shake the four species and often people try to shake it in the sukkah. And we know that three of the species, the lulav and the, and the hadasim and the arava, right, in Jewish mysticism, we say that they represent the masculine traits of God. The esrog represents the shechina, the divine presence, the feminine aspect of God. And we take that masculine and we take that feminine and we hold them together and we bring them into the sukkah, into this wedding canopy, into this yichud room. And we shake it and we literally make, we're making a whole, a whole wedding, a whole wedding ceremony. But that whole wedding is supposed to represent us together with God. Not getting down on ourselves, but really knowing that we have something beautiful, that we have something special to celebrate with God. That it's not us versus God, but that we, we're on this journey together. And it's okay to be brokenhearted. And it's okay to be joyous. And it's okay to fall, but still to believe that we are here to be great, that we're here on a mission. And that really captures, captures the true joy of what Sukkot is all about. So whenever you'll be listening to this, we have now a couple of days in between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. We're, we're going down the aisle. We're singing singing festive songs. We're going to be in the Yichud room soon. Let's make the most of these days. Let's make the most of these days. And let's try to get as close as we can. Yom Kippur is over. Don't let down your guard. Let's remain close and remain on this climb. And we'll see that we have so much potential, and so much ability to really discover the true greatness that's inside of us. Thank you for listening. And I wish everyone a Chag Sameach. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to rabbishlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.